Welcome into the third edition of this True Detective podcast. I appreciate everyone who's listened to the first and second one. Uh, we're going to start a discussion thread, I guess, for at least the patrons on patreon.com slash reads ranch if you want to be able to have a place to chat about this stuff. And there's a good comment thread there, a good comment section in there. And it kind of shows me that you're enjoying this stuff. And for season three, the new season launches on uh, Sunday the 13th. That would be a good place to uh, have a lot more interactions. So that's patreon.com slash ranch. All right, this third episode, Locked Room, uh, quite frankly, and you know maybe I changed my mind. I reserve the right to change my mind, but I do think this episode three is the – I don't know if it's the best, but it's my favorite episode of the series. This doesn't necessarily have the jaw-dropping action moment, uh, but it – to me, has everything else. Like, uh, even from the opening, right? There's, to me, being from, you know, the South and and going to a couple of tent revivals growing up, like the one that they started the first part of this episode at, maybe that strikes a chord. But to, to me, there's nothing creepier, at least when you have some ambiguity surrounding it, as a, as a tent revival just outside and the, the scene that they set here. I thought was was pretty perfect because we ended episode two, you know, finding more ties to uh, church, right? Uh, the burnt down church. They found the the drawing of a a naked girl with antlers. So now we have we have you know kept looking for this this tent revival. And episode three starts there, and. I've made it very clear that I think the best parts of this show are the back and forth between Marty and Rust. And we get a pretty classic one here as we go deeper into their ideology. And we have Rust immediately showing his disdain for the people here that would be uh, so stupid, basically, as he puts it, to to sit here and, and, and listen to preaching and b- believe in religion. What do you think the average IQ of the biz, huh? Can you see Texas up there on your high horse? What do you know about these people? Just observation and deduction. See a propensity for obesity, poverty, a yen for fairy tales. Folks putting what few bucks they do have in the little wicker baskets being passed around. I think it's safe to say that nobody here is going to be splitting the atom, Marty. Fat, poor, and naive. I mean, that's essentially how he just summed up all these people that would be willing to be at this revival. And Marty, of course, has has shown in the past that he, you know, you think back to episode one where they're riding in the car and he's asking about religion. So you kind of have an idea of both of these guys' feelings. But Marty goes on, defends it, and says, no, look, these people aren't here because they're fat, poor, and stupid. They're not believing in fairy tales. These people could just be here for the the idea of communion, you know, community. And just the greater good, hope, if you will. Like, hey, uh, you know, to me, and this is something that I think that, you know, I've struggled with as well just in my own religion is that sometimes you just gravitate towards that for the, the sake of community. For me, it's the sake of family, right? The family likes going to church. My dad likes going to church, so I go with him. 
and I do enjoy just the community around it and the idea the and hope that there is something better out there. So that's what Marty's kind of relying on. Well, of course, Russ thinks that's the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, can you imagine if people didn't believe what things they get up to? Exact same thing they do now, just out in the open. Bull shit. It'd be a fucking freak show of murder and debauchery, and you know it. If the only thing keeping a person decent is the expectation of divine reward, then, brother, that person is a piece of shit. And I'd like to get as many of them out in the open as possible. Right, so here you have Marty basically looking at the, uh, for lack of a better term, the benefits of religion as kind of a way to, to keep people in line. I think back to the Napoleon quote that I learned in college where Napoleon, uh, his views on religion was basically that religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. Basically, religion, you you either have the hope of reward at the end or you're terrified of the punishment. Either way, however you want to look at it, if you're terrified of going to hell, you're going to be good. Or if you are hoping for heaven and hoping for a reward, well, as Russ puts it, you're a piece of shit. You're basically doing it for... Uh, self-fulfillment you're doing it for selfish reasons and he says i don't want those people hiding i want those people out in the open i want to know how many monsters there are out here that we're having to deal with right because i mean marty's made it clear or excuse me russ has made it clear like he, he thinks the world is bad he thinks there are a lot of bad people out here and he wants them to not be able to hide behind religion just hey let's be who we are let's have these animalistic instincts and 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 urges and let's just do it that way. Everybody out in the open being who who they are. It goes even further to say that uh, religion is making people sheep. Religion is making people just kind of blindly follow along what the universe is telling us. Using excuses of religion to to not dig further. Certain linguistic anthropologists think that religion is a language virus that rewrites pathways in the brain, dulls critical thinking. Well, I don't use $10 words as much as you, but for a guy who sees no point in existence, you sure fret about it an awful lot. So yeah, there you see, you see Rust saying that religion is ruining people's ability to think critically. Which Marty, which I think Marty has a really good response back and kind of calls rust on his bullshit saying, hey, look, you 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 act all pessimist. You act like uh, this world has no meaning. Yet here you are constantly just going on and on about everything like you, you're obsessing instead of just living your life. Here you are obsessing, trying to figure out the meaning of life, like worried about it. Kind of hypocritical. So here we are just kind of highlighting their differences again. And this one kind of struck a nerve with me because, I, like I said, I, I kind of feel both of where, where both of them are coming from. Like Marty, basically hiding and or not hiding in church, but enjoying church and enjoying religion because he thinks that it's just kind of the right thing to do. Whereas Marty's kind of like if you're just that type of person who's doing it because it's the right thing to do or what you want, or you know, hopefully you're getting what you want out of it. That's kind of the wrong idea. But the preacher gets off the stage. Uh, Russ goes up. They talk to him. And 
you know, he introduces them to, to another man who, who who may have some more knowledge. But anyways, they, they, they leave the church, the tent revival, convinced that the preacher, Bert, uh, knows more about the tall man than he's letting on. Says he has seen the tall man. He, has, he, he knows the suspect that they are looking for. So the day continues on. They're going on. They're going back to handle the case. And, you know, it leads to uh, a continued conversation about the two of them and their differences. And, you know, it, it goes on to Marty complaining with Rust about, man, like you you just kind of have to be. You're, you're so convinced that this is happening. You're so, as he says, obsessed with the case that you might be missing things. You might be missing things, to which Rust kind of responds back to with basically trying to trying to kind of lecture Marty a little bit about how he's obsessive as well. They just obsess over different things. You have a tendency toward myopia, tunnel vision, blows investigations, vision skews, twists evidence. You're, you're obsessive. You're obsessive too, just not about the job. Not me, brother. I keep things even, separate. Like the way I can have just one beer without needing 20. People incapable of guilt usually do have a good time. Try not to be too hard on myself. Well, that's real big of you. You know the real difference between you and me? Yeah. Denial. The difference is that I know the difference between an idea and a fact. You are incapable of admitting doubt. Now that sounds like denial to me. I doubt that. So here we have a little shot at Russ's alcoholism. You know, with Marty pointing out, hey, I, I, I can have one drink and not need 20. Obviously we saw from, from episode one that Russ shows up plastered at the house and talks about how he has a problem with drinking and how he didn't have a reason not to. So we have Marty taking a shot at Russ for not being able to to stop. And then uh, to which Russ immediately responds with, yeah, people who don't feel guilt usually have a pretty good time. Right? Like like Marty, Marty is a terrible person in Russ's eyes for for what he's doing to his wife, Maggie. But he uh, you know, Marty doesn't really live inside that reality like to him as he puts it he uh, is able to separate things. He is able to separate things and points out again, you know, just kind of how Rust uh, says he's incapable of doubt. That, that is the that is the difference between them. Rust has to have these answers. He can't kind of leave something up in the air. Which one would argue makes him a really good detective, but others, you know, like we just talked about earlier, uh, kind of has him obsessing with things. So we've got, you know, we're 10 minutes into the episode, basically. 15 minutes into the episode, and we've had two uh, pretty contested things with, with Marty and Russ. And this is coming off the end of, season, you know, episode two, where you know, Marty has Russ pushed up against the locker. It's staying heated, I guess, and maybe getting progressively uh, more into it. And we see this come even more to a head when... 
we see Russ then eventually show up to to Marty's house when Marty is not home, and you see Rust, you know, getting to live this family life, and he's becoming more gentler, and he seems happy as he's sitting there with his wife, A.K. Maggie, who is actually Marty's wife. He's sitting there with his wife, and he's looking at the TV of the the two blonde-headed kids, and he's looking, and you can see he's just kind of longing for this reality, and he knows. Right, he, he he knows that Rust is taking advantage of this, and he knows the weakness of Marty taking advantage of this. So you see a little brief scene with with Rust and Maggie talking about who he would like to be set up with. He jokes, "Hey, I'd give me a nurse. They have good drugs." But you now see, okay, uh, maybe there's a double date coming. Maybe that's what they're talking about. They're actually having an in-depth conversation. This isn't a, I'm dropping the lawnmower off. It is a, we're sitting in here talking. And I'm, I'm able to let my guard down and, and have a conversation with you. Well, and then you see Marty pull up, and Marty notices that his grass is mowed. And he comes in the house, and he's visibly upset about it. Visibly upset about it. You can hear the the frustration and anger in his voice when Maggie invites Russ to stay for dinner. And Russ says, no, i got to go. And Marty's like, oh, well, that's just too bad. Let me walk you out. And then there's this standoff out on this freshly mowed grass where you can see, like, hey, this is a silly argument to be having, right? I'm mad that you mowed my grass because I let you borrow my lawnmower. Russ came back, says he was repaying a, a favor. Like, hey, you let me borrow the mower, I'm going to mow the grass. But to Marty, it's uh, obviously much bigger than that. He has tears in his eyes over Russ mowing his lawn. And obviously we know now that Marty is a little insecure when it comes to the prospect of his wife being around another man, especially Rust, who's in a wife beater with his you know arm showing and talking to her and showing her the attention that, that Marty hasn't. So Marty can kind of sense his family kind of slipping through his fingers and you know something as simple as mowing his grass is is a something a simple responsibility that he thinks he should be the one to handle but Rust has done that Marty feels absentee and you know deep down Marty's conscience is bothering him because he knows a part of why he hasn't mowed the yard is because he's been out having sex with Lisa right so you can just see like in this scene Marty's tears and just how far this insecure insecurity goes and how how upset he is just by another man. And I do think it gets worse because it's his partner, Russ, but another man kind of swooping in and taking care of uh, some of the dad duties that he's neglected. He goes further later on that night when when if when we find out that the the sex scene with the Barbie dolls in episode two that the kids had set up is carrying on as their daughter. Audrey got in trouble at school for having pornographic drawings in her notebook. Of course, that's something you should talk about, right? Like, you should address that. So Maggie says, hey, Marty, let's have this talk. And Marty's annoyed because the apparently the Bulls and, uh, Bulls and Lakers are playing, and he doesn't necessarily want to miss the game. So he just kind of wants to come home and be able to, again, relax and unplug. Like he talked about at the end of episode two like he thinks that he should be able to come home and relax not necessarily deal with this other type of stuff absentee and even while they're talking to their daughter you can see it's clear that that marty is looking over her head to try to watch the game and maggie of course sees it which leads to another argument up in the bedroom 
where Marty kind of just has to, where, where basically Marty gets pinned down. Basically, Marty gets pinned down, and the guilt is overtaking him. And Maggie's on to him asking if there's something else, someone else, and to which Marty basically has his only moment of honesty with his wife that we've seen so far through three episodes where he looks at her and just says, I'm fucked up. Basically, like, I, I'm losing control here. I don't know I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am inside this family. I don't even know what I want, really, because he, he is hiding behind this family, but, of course, running around with his mistress. It's the only moment of honesty we've seen through three episodes so far is Marty looking at her and saying, I'm fucked up. Then we finally get to, you know, we finally see Marty have sex with his wife. And then, you, you know, the most telling part so far of Marty's existence in 2012, right, in the 17-year uh, interrogation room with the cops, is Marty is pained right after the memories of him and his wife making love. Marty's pained and, and, and flexing his right hand and noticeably showing off the lack of a ring. Like the relationship has ended. And Marty, even 17 years later, is pained by that. One of my favorite parts of the episode is up next whenever we, we see just how manipulative and how good at interrogation Rust is. Because we've seen so far through this episode, Rust has made it clear that he thinks religion is bullshit, right? Like he does not believe in religion, yet we see him interrogating a, you know, a, a strung out, drugged up, maybe not all there mentally uh, guy in holding. And... We'll just listen to the the method that Rust uh, gets a confession out of this guy. Listen to me. You got one way out. And it's through the grace of God. You are only out of the Lord made you. You are not flawed. We, you, me, people, we don't choose our feelings. There's grace in this world, and there's forgiveness for all, but you have to ask for it. I want that. I want I want that. I'm asking. I'm asking. Tell me. Please just tell me what to say. I want to confess. I want to confess. Here Rust is using religion, using the idea that we're made in God's image and that this isn't this guy's fault, the reason he is the way he is. It's, it's, it's the way God made him to take advantage of someone who looks poor and is obviously naive, kind of tying back to that first discussion and what we really know, what, you know how, how, how Russ feels about religion and those people who are religious. You just really see how manipulative Rust is in doing his job, or just how you know how he can tap into someone's weakness. We've we've seen him prod and poke Marty for the last two episodes. The moment he found, you know, the moment it, it became evident to him that Marty is a hypocrite when it comes to this family man image, that he is a cheater, that he is a liar, and now he is breaking Marty down a little bit with it. And you see the same thing here in the interrogation room. We then get to a double date. We then get to a double date. It's uh, basically something that looks like the Cotton Eye Joe. Double date. They have successfully set Rust up with a girl who, you know, looks a lot like, who looks a lot like Maggie, but Rust shows up late, doesn't want to drink, and, you know, they're going to have a good time, go dance and do whatever. 
Marty sees Lisa, his mistress, with a new man, and is upset with it. It is bothering him and ruining his night. And as, as him and his wife are dancing, he's staring at the mistress. As you know, he gets up, goes to tries to go to the bar to talk to her in front of you know, basically secluded, while he's with his wife, and she misses. You know, she says it's over. Basically, says I don't want to do this anymore, which is defying her role in Marty's life. Marty's already made it clear, like, everyone has their place. Everyone has what they need from each other. And, you know, with her, he had told her, you know, think back to episode two, and he's mad at her for not being home one night when he randomly drove by. So she is now disrupting the hierarchy and the setup of, of Marty's life. I love this next scene, as in, you know, 2012, they break back to to Marty talking about rust and how a man needs a family again he he goes back to that uh well as he's also talking about basically that uh everyone needs boundaries and setup in life if if working his theories if his job was his idea of himself fine i mean the rest of us had families people in our lives good things people give you rules rules describe the shape of things as you hear there with the tire screeching uh, marty is talking about rules in 2012 as he's flashing back to 1995 when he is breaking all these rules to to drunkenly drive up on a curve and bust into lisa's house to assault her her new boyfriend i guess and to to use his power as the police keep in mind the police can do anything they want with impunity that's what russ has already told us that's what marty's doing here as he breaks down to beat up lisa's lover but i love the audio where marty is talking about needing rules right needing boundaries we obviously see that he's not living with this but he he uses it and i do think this ties back into marty's view on religion and basically the reason he's in a marriage with with Maggie is that he needs the rules of a family to somewhat keep him centered, like to somewhat keep him from becoming a complete alcoholic mess. And he needs religion to kind of help give him hope in the world. But I just love that he's talking about this, about rust 17 years later, as he's busting in to, to beat up his girlfriend's boyfriend. Remember, remember what Russ said uh, about the difference between the two of them denial even 17 years later we're seeing this denial with marty he hasn't really come to grips with who he is and the things that he's done he's still in denial so flashback the next morning we get a a new lead a drowned girl a girl is drowned with uh, similar marks and looks like she had did not drown but she was murdered and thrown into the water so they track her down they go to a a, I guess a lake, uh, lagoon, hell, I don't know. They go to water where they're talking and asking about this girl and a fisherman's talking about her ties to uh, this guy named Reggie Ledoux and how she had went away to school two hours away to this school. And we then find out that that school is uh, a school that was, you know, had ties to Tuttle's foundation, Tuttle is the uh, part of the guy who was trying to lead that Christian task force that the that they're competing against for this case. But she went to school there uh, before it shut down. So now they are headed to this school. And on, on the way to the school, 
you finally start seeing some of that denial we just talked about with Marty kind of uh, try to seep out, I guess, and maybe him trying to actually wonder aloud if he is a bad person. And he's doing so not through confession, right, because that wouldn't be Marty's style, but really just asking Rust if he's ever concerned that he is a bad man. I wonder ever you're a bad man. No, I don't wonder, Marty. world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. Notice the we there with Rust. World needs bad men. We keep everyone else away from the door. Acknowledging, yes, I, I am a bad man, but we're necessary. So they go to the school. Uh, they, they, they Sitting there, Rust is talking to a bearded man mowing the lawn, trying to kind of figure some stuff out about the school. And as he is... Uh, Marty gets a call about the, uh, the the whereabouts of Reggie Ledoux, and they also find out that he has skipped parole and last known was making meth and LSD, uh, the same things that these girls have been pumped full of, and that he, you know, last time he was in prison uh, was cellmates with Charlie Lang. Of course, that's Dora Lang's ex-husband. So now the dots are all connecting, and you've seen such hostility between these two all episode long. But this this new break in the case and the idea that they have completed it or or at least have a, like I said, a break in the case and that they are close to figuring it out unites them. And this is the first time where they're visibly happy and you even have uh, Marty throwing in a, a nice little joke about, well, you know, and, and this one, usually, usually his jokes are a pained response to something that Rust has said. Usually there's some type of one-liner uh, to try to lighten the mood or, or basically just playing on Rust's darkness. But here, as he delivers one of those lines, he's at least smiling and says, well, uh, wow, great job. Basically, um, I I was beginning to think you might have just liked looking at pictures of naked dead girls all the time. But giving him some props, giving Russ props for, you know, breaking this case and for his his work ethic. We then get back to 2012, and you have Marty again talking about gearing up for a gunfight. So they're kind of laying they're kind of laying an idea of what might be coming. But then you get rust. And this is one of the more chilling monologues, but almost beautiful in a way. As he talks about how, you know, he has been staring at all these dead bodies. And he he tells these cops who have been questioning him in 2012. that as he's looking at these girls' pictures, he still looks at their eyes. He's like, even though they're dead, the eyes still tell a story. As you can see, uh, these victims were all welcoming death, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, death was a sweet release for them. And goes on to, to reveal kind of what the meaning of the title of this episode, A Locked Room, was about. It's not about, you know, kids being locked up. It's not about jail. It's not about anything like that. It's a a locked room inside your mind where basically everything is a dream. And maybe one of the the best moments of the series and one of the best moments of TV is as he's doing this uh, long monologue. He gets to the end. And as he gets to the end, he says, and like all, you know, and like a lot of dreams... There's a monster at the end of it. And now we finally get our first look at what may be the monster 
the serial killer of this of this story, we see Reggie Ledoux walking around in his underwear with a gas mask on, completely tatted up, just looking like a a real monster. So now we are gearing up for episode four, which we think is going to have a a encounter with these guys and and Reggie Ledoux and maybe a gunfight. I'll play that audio for you on the way out because I do think the two minutes from from uh, McConaughey here are you know maybe the best written lines of the series. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I mean when I'm talking about time, and death, and futility. Now, there are broader ideas at work, mainly what is owed between us as a society for our mutual illusions. Our 14 straight hours of staring at DBs, these are the things you think of. You ever done that? You look in their eyes, even in a picture. Doesn't matter if they're dead or alive, you can still read them. And you know what you see? They welcomed it. Hmm. Not at first, but right there in the last instant. It's an unmistakable relief. See, because they were afraid. And now they saw for the very first time how easy it was to just let go. And they saw in that last nanosecond, they saw what they were. That you, yourself, this whole big drama, it was never anything but a jerry rig of presumption and dumb will. And you could just let go. Finally know that you didn't have to hold on so tight. To realize that all your life, not all your love, all your hate, all your memory, all your pain, it was all the same thing. It was all the same dream, a dream that you had inside a locked room. A dream about being a person. And like a lot of dreams, there's a monster at the end of it. All right, like I said, uh, we'll do episode four soon. Probably come in and knock a couple out tomorrow, which will be Saturday. I'll come in and knock some out in the morning. Uh, that way we can have a full week uh, you know, ready, at least a, a Wednesday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, ready to uh, dissect for a full week before uh, Season 3 comes out. Give a chance for discussion and stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll put up a thread on the uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Reed's Ranch if you want access to that. All right, talk to you guys soon.